0: Stageland by Jerome K. Jerome This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Muncaster. Stageland by Jerome K. Jerome. The Hero His name is George. Generally speaking, call me george he says to the heroine she calls him george in a very low voice because she is so young and timid then he is happy the stage hero never has any work to do he is always hanging about and getting into trouble his chief aim in life is to be accused of crimes he has never committed and if he can muddle things up with a corpse in some complicated way as to get himself reasonably mistaken for the murderer, he feels his day has not been wasted. What a wonderful gift of speech and a flow of language calculated to strike terror to the bravest heart. It is a grand thing to hear him bully-ragging the villain. The stage hero is always entitled to estates, chiefly, remarkable for their high state of cultivation and for the eccentric ground plan of the manor house upon them. The house is never more than one storey high, but it makes up in green stuff over the porch what it lacks for size and convenience. The chief drawback in connection with it, to our eyes, is all the inhabitants of the neighbouring village appear to live in the front garden, but the hero evidently thinks it's rather nice of them as it enables him to make speeches to them from the front doorstep his favourite recreation there is generally a public house immediately opposite this is handy these estates are a great anxiety to the stage hero he is not what you would call a business man as far as we can judge and his attempts to manage his own property invariably land him in ruin and distraction his estates however always get taken away from him by the villain before the first act is over and this saves all the further trouble with regard to them until the end of the play when he gets saddled with them once more Not but what it must be confessed, that there is much excuse for the poor fellow's general bewilderment concerning his affairs, and for his legal errors and confusions generally. Stage law may not be quite the most fearful and wonderful mystery in the whole universe, but it's near it, very near it. We were under the impression at one time that we ourselves knew something, just a little, about statutory and common law. But after paying attention to the legal points of one or two plays, we find that we are mere children at it. We thought we would not be beaten, and we determined to get to the bottom of the stage law and understand it. But after some six months' effort, our brain, a singularly fine one, began to soften. And we abandoned the study, believing it would come cheaper in the end to offer a suitable reward of about £50,000 or £60,000, say, to anyone who would explain it to us the reward has remained unclaimed to the present day and is still open one gentleman did come to our assistance a little while ago but his explanations only made the matter more confusing to our minds than it was before he was surprised at what he called our density and said the thing was all clear and simple to him but we discovered afterward he was an escaped lunatic the only point stage law on which we are at all clear are as follows, that if a man dies without leaving a will, then all his property goes to the nearest villain. But if a man dies and leaves a will, then all his property goes to whoever can get possession of that will. That the accidental loss of three and a sixpenny copy of a marriage certificate annuls the marriage that the evidence of one prejudiced witness of shady antecedents is quite sufficient to convict the most stainless and irreproachable gentleman of crimes for which the committal of which he could have had no possible motive but that this evidence may be rebutted years afterwards and the conviction quashed without further trial by the unsupported statement of the comic man that if a forges B to a check then the law of the land is that B shall be sentenced to ten years penal servitude that ten minutes notice is all that is required to foreclose on a mortgage that all trials of criminal cases take place in the front parlour of the victim's house the villain acting as counsel, judge and jury rolled into one and a couple of policemen being told off to follow his instructions. There are a few more salient features of stage law, so far as we have been able to grasp it up to the present moment, but as fresh acts and clauses and modifications appear to be introduced for each new play, we have abandoned all hope of ever being able to get to really comprehend the subject. To return to our hero, the state of the law as above sketched naturally confuses him, and the villain, who is the only human being who does seem to understand stage legal questions, is easily able to fleece and ruin him. The simple-minded hero signs mortgages, bills of sale, deeds of gift, and such things, under the impression that he is playing some sort of round game, and then he cannot play the interest, and they take his wife and children away from him and turn him adrift into the world. Being thrown upon his own resources, he naturally starves. He can make long speeches. He can tell you all his troubles. He can stand in the limelight and strike attitudes he can knock the villain down and defy the police but these requirements are not much in demand in the labour market and as they are all he can do or care to do he finds earning his living a much more difficult affair than he fancied there is a deal too much hard work about it for him he soon gives up trying and prefers to eke out an uncertain existence sponging upon the good-natured old irishwomen and generally but weak-minded young artisans who have left their native village to follow him and enjoy the advantage of his company and conversation and so he drags out his life during the middle of the peace raving at fortune raging at humanity and whining about his miseries until the last act then he gets back those estates of his into his possession once again and can go back to the village and make more moral speeches and be happy. Moral speeches are undoubtedly his leading article, and of these it must be owned. He has an inexhaustible stock. He is as chock-full of noble sentiments as a bladder is of wind. They are weak and watery sentiments of the sixpenny tea-meeting order. We have a dim notion that we have heard them before the sound of them always conjures up to our mind the villain of a dull long room full of oppressive silence broken only in the scratching of steel pens and of the occasional whispered give us a suck bill you know i always liked you or a louder please sir speak to jimmy boggles he's a joggling my elbow the stage hero however evidently regards these meanderings as gems of brilliant thought fresh from the philosophic mine, the gallery greets them with enthusiastic approval they are a warm-hearted people writes, and they like to give a hearty welcome to old friends and then too the sentiments are so good and a british gallery is so moral We doubt if there could be discovered on this earth any body of human beings half so moral, so fond of goodness, even when it is slow and stupid, so hateful of meanness in the world or deed as a modern theatrical gallery. The early Christian martyrs were sinful and worldly compared with an Adelphi gallery. The stage hero is a powerful man. You wouldn't think it to look at him, but you wait until the heroine cries, Help! oh george save me or the police attempt to run him in then two villains three extra hired ruffians and four detectives are about his fighting weight if he knocks down less than three men with one blow he fears he must be ill and wonders why this strange weakness the hero has his own way of making love he always does it from the behind the girl turns away from him when he begins, she being, as we have said, shy and timid, and he takes all of her hands and breathes his attachment down her back. The stage hero always wears patent leather boots, and they are always spotlessly clean. Sometimes he is rich and lives in a room with seven doors to it, at other times he is starving in a garret. But in either event he still wears brand new patent leather boots." he might raise at least three and sixpence on those boots and when the baby is crying for food it occurs to us it would be better of it instead of praying to heaven he took off those boots and pawned them but this does not seem to occur to him he crosses the african desert in patent leather boots does the stage hero he takes a supply with him when he is wrecked on an uninhabited island he arrived from a long and trying journey his clothes are ragged and torn but his boots are new and shiny He puts on patent leather boots to tramp through the Australian bush, to fight in Egypt, to discover the North Pole. Sometimes he is a gold digger. Sometimes he is a dock labourer. Sometimes a soldier. Sometimes a sailor. But whatever he is, he wears patent leather boots. He goes boating in patent leather boots. He plays cricket in them. He goes fishing and shooting in them. He will go to heaven in patent leather boots. Or he will decline the invitation. The stage hero never talks in a simple, straightforward way, like a mere ordinary mortal. You will write to me when you are away, dear, won't you? says the heroine. A mere human being would reply, why, of course I will, Ducky, every day. But the stage hero is a superior creature. He says, Dost see yonder star, sweet? She looks up and owns that she does see yonder star, and then off he starts and drivels on about that star for full five minutes and says that he will cease to write to her when the pale star has fallen from its place amid the firmament of heaven the result of a long course of acquaintanceship with stage heroes has been so far as we are concerned to create a yearning for a new kind of stage hero what we would like for a change would be a man who wouldn't crackle and brag quite so much, but who was capable of taking care of himself for a day without getting into trouble. End of The Hero in Stage Land by Jerome K. Jerome